Read. Junk. Read. Junk. Read. Junk. Podcast. Read the podcast. With your host, my guy. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your host, Brian Kremko, and we're back with a new episode. Uh, I took a couple weeks off. Um, the world's pretty crazy out there right now, but managed to do another episode this time with Mark of uh, Ruboy George, Bigger Thomas, Heavensby, and he's currently writing an oral history on early American ska, which sounds awesome. I'm also joined by my buddy and co-founder of Rejunk, Adam Kuzer. We talked to Mark about Heavensby's new album, Ruboy George's new EP, Sunseed's song, Jesus is a Friend of Mine. We always talk about the ska scene, 80s music. We talk about the Smiths and Morrissey a little bit. We talk about Mark's book, Ska Boom, an oral history about the birth of American ska and reggae. And we finish things up with a quick discussion on movies and music. It's read junk. We do both. Before we get things started, I did a Rudy's Against Racism shirt at Tee Public, and 100% of the proceeds for the month of June will be going to a charity. I was going to donate to Campaign Zero, but I need to further read about them a little bit because lately I've been hearing that it's not really a good idea. And I know I got to look up the right person to donate to, but either way, I'm going to be donating those proceeds for this month to someone that needs it. Um, just visit tpublic.com slash user slash Brian Kremko to buy the shirt, sticker, mug, whatever you want to get. Okay, let's get this episode started. Here's my chat with Mark Wasserman and Adam Kuzer right here on the Rejunk Podcast. Talking with Mark from Blue Boy George, Heavens Be, and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm joined by my co-founder of Rejunk and Read Magazine, Adam Kuzer. What's up, guys? Hello. Hi, Brian. It's nice to be here. Yes. Um, so how has things been during this whole pandemic, Mark? <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I'm in lockdown with a newly minted 13 year old. So, uh, so you never that see has him been, then. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like having an annoying office mate, but I live with the office mate 24 seven. Honestly, he's loud, obnoxious. I love him, but, um, it's a lot. It's been three months of constant shouting, um, complaining, belly aching, whining, uh, and those are the good days. That sounds familiar, right. though. I mean, I have a four and a half year old, so it's kind of very similar, except he wants to watch <laughs> dinosaurs and Star Wars every day. And now he's getting into Godzilla and he's like, I want Godzilla. Show me. I'm like, I've never even watched Godzilla. <laughs> Mark, Mark has an office mate that, you know, actually says what what we want to say to all of our office mates, mates which is I hate you, <laughs> except you can't fire him. Uh, well, that's the problem. The, the crazy thing is I'm on work calls and he's, 
I, I, I won't say where I live, but I'll say that the, um, the distance learning here is uh, less than optimal. So he does about an hour's worth of schoolwork a day, and then the rest is devoted to um, becoming a Fortnite star. You know, that's that's his goal in life right now. <laughs> well, you can make money on that, I guess, these days. That's what he keeps telling me. I, I don't believe it, but that's what his, his argument is. I mean, I would say that it's not as lucrative as a ska podcaster, but <laughs> maybe someday. I want to yeah. I want to consider myself a ska podcaster. I just uh, interview a lot of ska musicians. <laughs> The ones They'll that make, make a lot of money someday, Brian. I, no, it's never going to happen. I believe in you. <laughs> I do everything that doesn't make me any money. Artists, designer, yeah. Um, so, 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 Mark. So, have you you've been keeping busy besides you know your your day to day job? I mean, you, you seem like you have a lot of projects that have just come <laughs> out, and some are coming out st- still in the future. Um, so, I mean, you did Heaven's Be. That was back in when right. January, and so yeah, so that was a that. great project. Yeah, probably one of the most satisfying artistic collaborations I've ever been a part of. Um, it just started out a couple of years ago with me and Roger and and Meg Howe, who was in Rude Boy George, and um, I had started recording a bunch of music at home, which was new for me because I'm not a traditional musician in any sense of the word, and. Um, I've learned how to become a producer, basically um, taught myself. Um, and I had a bunch of songs about five or six years ago, and I ran them by Meg and Roger, and they liked some of them, surprisingly. And um, we used to get together when I lived in New York, and we had writing sessions, which was a blast. And we put out a record, the three of us, which was fun. But then I kept learning the craft of being a songwriter on, um, online and got a bit better and a bit better and a bit better. And Roger Apollon and I, who's been my musical partner in crime for many, many years, decided we wanted to collaborate with other people. So we started to put out the word to all these different people. And to our shock and surprise, a lot of them were interested in working with us. We really didn't have any expectations. And so we got to work with uh, Dunia Best, uh, who was in Agent 99, uh, Carolyn Coleman, who's in the 1865 Olivier Rie, who was in the Boilers, and then all the people that um, have been in the Rude Boy George orbit, you know, um, Jenny Whiskey and Rob George and Robert Julian, and it just sort of went from there. And um, without any roadmap, we just, I would just send them music and they would write lyrics, and then we would get together in this great studio in West Orange with this amazing engineer named James Delacatoma, and um just recorded and we recorded for about a year and a half and we just kept going. And then we kept inviting more people. We ended up with um, Robert Tierney from the New York citizens, which was again, completely a shock. Um, I had never really met him in person and he showed up in the recording studio and we recorded a bunch of songs. So it, it sort of took on a life of its own um, and uh, kept me, kept me really busy while I was also writing a book. So between raising a family um, and work, we were just constantly recording and I was writing this book and that that's sort of been what I've been doing for the last three years. And I can't complain. It's, it's the life I've always wanted, honestly, yeah, to be an artist and, and a musician. Seem, you seem really busy. I guess they haven't seen yeah. you lately, your family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I know you guys are a bit younger than me, but I found when I turned 50, um, 
that I had heard this little voice in my head that basically said, you better start doing all the things you've always wanted to do. Uh, and I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to write about music. And I've always wanted to be a musician. And I sort of was, I figured, let's do it. And, and Roger and I actually made a pact. He's only a couple of years younger than me. And we both said, uh, this was in 2018, we said, this is the year of saying yes. Anything anybody asks us we were going to do, that, we, that they're going to ask us to do, we're going to say yes. And it got a little out of hand, but it's been, it's been very satisfying. We've said yes to everything, everything. You guys want to play in Rochester, New York? Yes. You want to come to England and play one show? Yes. <laughs> so um, I, I can't complain that my 50s have been the most, creatively satisfying decade of my life so far. Um, so I wish the same for you both. Anybody in your 50s, start doing what you always wanted to do. Don't got, waste time. We got a couple of years. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of creative, uh, the new Heavens Be album is just off the charts, one of the most creative, interesting ska albums that I've heard in, I don't know, in, in many years. And the first Heavens Be album was also very interesting because it it was almost like a goth dub, you know, like some weird gothy dubby mix. And the new album kind of takes that and also, I don't know, it just sort of goes off into the stratosphere. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the direction of the, of the, the sound. Sure. Um, I got better at, at being a digital musician. That's, that's really the main answer to your question I also invested money in more and more sounds you know there's a whole world out there for producers where you can buy um, samples and um, I, I invested in some and then I would basically sit up until one or two in the morning trying different things and teaching myself how to do this you know I'm a um, self-taught musician I don't read music but I've played enough music that I know what sounds good. So I would just experiment, honestly. It was like being in a music lab and I would put different sounds together. And if I thought it sounded good, I would send it to Roger and he would either say, this is good or this sucks. How many times <laughs> so, did he say it, would, it sucked? <laughs> a couple of times. He didn't say, Roger's the nicest person in the world. He would never say it, it sucks. He would just say, that's interesting. Like he's just very, <laughs> we need to talk, you know, right. But if he, if he would send me an email back with like, this is dope, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Then I knew that I was on the right path. And then I basically turned the songs over to the, to the singers. I said, you do whatever you want with this. You take ownership of it from here. And that's why I think the second album was maybe a little different. Um, and also there was so much crazy fucking shit going on in the world <laughs> when we were writing that album that, you know, and Roger's an incredibly gifted singer, but also a great lyricist. And so is Dunia. And so is Carolyn. And the three of them together were a real powerful trio of, they had some really interesting ideas about things they wanted to say and things they wanted to sing about. And so I give them, there would be no heavens be without them. Uh, I mean, I could just keep recording songs and nobody would ever sing them. So I'm very grateful for their for their collaboration. They to, to answer your question, they were the ones who took it to the next level, honestly. I mean, I, I practiced being a, a producer, but they 
were true artists who took that music and made it into something. So that that's that was really a special part of the whole collaboration for me. And had that like, and I, it, when I was like making the album uh, cover, not to plug myself or anything, but um, but like I, when I was like listening to like the songs that you sent me, I kind of had like that. It kind of reminded me of like an '80s kind of like mixture of not like the new wave, but kind of like eighties hip hop and like reggae and like big audio dynamite, like all this like clash, like everything kind of clashing together yeah. in a way. That's kind of, kind of reminds yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Good. You know, big audio dynamite. Definitely. Um, um, what's that song? Well, yeah, there's definitely like there, there are definite like, you know, eighties new wave hooks. I mean, obviously it's not rude boy George, but, um, it, it is very hooky. Is, is that, was that part of it? Definitely. Uh, and all the bands you just name checked were, are all big influences on me. I mean, I'm a child of the eighties. I'm never going to be able to lose those sounds or influences. If you ask me to write a song, that's, I'm going to start from a blueprint of, you know, um, the clash, uh, big audio dynamite, um, UB 40, um, uh, Jamaican dub, uh, early hip hop. I mean, that was what was so much fun about it was being able to mix all those different things together. I mean, um, we did a song with Robert Tierney and I put a, a harmonica on it just because I was like, why not? Um, and he liked it. So, you know, it, it's kind of fun to be able to break the rules because I'm such, because I'm a self-taught musician. I don't think, about music maybe in the same way that someone has who has a traditional musical education would. So um, I used to think that was a curse, but at least in, in this project, it seemed more like a blessing that I was thinking very differently, maybe putting things together that someone else might not just because I'm so um, uh, un not, I wouldn't say uneducated, but it's just so non-traditional about how I look at and, and I'm into music. And bringing up 80s, I guess we can segue into Rude Boy George, who you just released your new EP, Lies and Alibis. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. I was talking with Robert in one of my last podcasts just about it a little bit before it came out. So, I mean, you, I'm sure you can dive into it a little more deeper. Um, did you guys, like... Did you like how many songs did you have? Was it a, wasn't it was I think what Robert said, it was kind of like more songs and then the pandemic happened. So it was made into an EP. Exactly. Uh, we we're really lucky. We got those four songs recorded right under the wire before the coronavirus lockdown. We had been rehearsing a lot more songs. We actually did this thing online where we asked people to vote. I forget the songs that we were having people vote on at this point, but we, we wanted to make it m more engaging for, for people who liked our band. Um, but, but we did get those four songs done and then spent a long time mixing them. Uh, Rob George, who's in Hub City Stompers, but plays, he's like our utility man in Reed Boy George. He plays saxophone, he plays guitar, he sings. He's an excellent producer, uh, has an unbelievable ear. And, and technically proficient, uh, he could be an amazing producer if he wanted to, to take, take on another career. Um, he said, I'm taking these songs and I'm going to make them sound great. And I, and I really think he has. Uh, he spent so much time, literally like on each song, he sweated each song. Um, and I think they're probably the, 
the best quality sounding songs we've ever put out in Rude Boy George. Yeah, I was going to mention that because I think you gave me you gave me some of the, some rough cuts and then one I think final master for Young Turks, but I can I can notice that I noticed the difference from what you gave me and then what I heard that came out on Tuesday, and like how much like how fine tuned it was and I, I honestly I think it's one of the best albums you guys have released so far and the one of the things that stands out is the saxophone playing it reminds me of English Beat you know like that the saxophone playing I don't know if it was Jenny or Rob or both playing the sax at the same time but that definitely stood out yeah yeah it's, it stands out for me too um, you know one of the benefits of of the fact that Rob and Jenny are married <laughs> is that uh, while we've been in lockdown they were tinkering with the songs at, in their home studio. And, um, you know, Rob is a taskmaster. I love the guy, but he has no qualms about looking you, at you in the studio and saying, you can do that again. You can do that better. <laughs> Try again. Nope, nope, nope. And it gets annoying, but I, at the end of the day, God bless him because he hears things that the rest of us don't. And he's always right. That's the most annoying thing about Rob. He's always right when it comes to music. Um, and so I trust him implicitly, and, and I've told him that many times. Do, do what you want with these songs. And he worked with James Della, Della Tacoma, our engineer, literally, I think, for about two months straight. They just disappeared and kept sharing the songs with us. Um, but there was a real attention to detail. You know, Roger and I sometimes try to move a little too quickly, I think, in the past. We would we would put songs out and not maybe spend as much time on them as we should because we're like, oh, it sounds good enough. Rob wouldn't allow that. <laughs> so um, that's why I think we got what we got, which is the best. And yes, he's he and Jenny are a great married couple, but great musical partners. And, and it's hard sometimes to tell it's like twins on the saxophone. It's you can if you play with them long enough, you can figure out, well, that's Rob and that's Jenny. But often I'm like, it just sounds good to me. I'm just happy. So Rob is like your, uh, he's like your, your Phil Spector. Yes. <laughs> yes. 100%. 100%. In, in every way. Um, so, so you also, you, were you, did you record one with, um, what's his face from, uh, Sun, Sunseed? I'm forgetting his name at the last, did you get, did you get to record with him? Yet? Sal? Yeah, Sal. Yeah. With Sal. We did. Um, you know, unfortunately, Sal got coronavirus. Oh, um, no. He, uh, sadly, his father uh, was was sick, and um, uh, he was in a, in a uh, convalescent. Um, and uh, I think Sal was going into the city every day to see his father. I think he was in his in his mid or late nineties, and I think this was during the height of uh, coronavirus in New York City. It might have been March. Wow. Or so, and and I think it was, on on you know, not surprising he got that. But we had recorded the tracks um, back in February, and he finally felt well enough a couple weeks ago to go to the studio just by himself with James, our engineer, and recorded his vocals. And so now we're trying to decide what to do with that song. You know, it, it it's interesting. I think there's a a real split in the Scott community about the song Jesus is a friend of mine. I think people either love it or they absolutely hate it, <laughs> detest it. And uh, we somehow have gotten a little bit wrapped up in that uh, by accident. You know, 
the reason we know Sal is that um, we played over in England at the Specialized Festival in 2018, and he was going to be there. And they said to us, can you back him up? <laughs> he just wants to play one song. Can you learn this song and back him up? And we were like, sure. You know, we didn't think much of it. And then we met him, and he's literally one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Just such a lovely guy and has such great stories to tell about being in this Catholic band, Sonseed, in New York City in the 70s. And, you know, he heard um, The Selector on my radio, I think on WPIX, and he was gobsmacked by it. thought it was the coolest thing he'd ever heard. Went away for like 10 minutes and wrote, Jesus is a friend of mine. Brought it to his Catholic bandmates in Sonseed, and they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and they're like, we don't like this at all. <laughs> and he's just like, can we just record it, please? Would, would you just do me the favor of recording me, it? It's going to be they a did, meme years ago. <laughs> years exactly. <laughs> they did one take of it, and he's like, could we do it again? And they're like, no, we're done with that song. <laughs> and that was it until like 25 years later, Somebody had taped them appearing on this like religious show on WNBC in like early 80s and put it online and it just sort of exploded and completely caught him off guard. And um, to me, I think it's a fantastic story. I think I don't know what you guys think. I'd love to hear your opinions about Jesus is a friend of mine or just sort of novelty ska songs, but they don't bother me. What, what do you think, Adam? I would say it's definitely a better song than anything Mephiscopheles has ever done. Oh, and they're, they're on the other side of the religious coin. Oh, leave it to Adam. I just spit out my water, Adam, when you said that. Uh, that's a bold statement. Don't listen to Adam. Hey, I'd rather, I'd rather listen by Adam. to Jesus is a friend of mine. I'd rather listen to Jesus is a friend of mine than that Bumblebee tuna song. Well, I agree with you there, um, but Doomsday is one of my all-time favorite ska songs, and one of the first ska songs I ever listened to. So I, I but as an atheist, I mean, I can give a shit about Jesus or not, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's still it's a catchy song. Go ahead, both of you. Well, I just want to point out that I mean, early ska was very religious, you know. So when you go back to the roots, it came, the lyrics came right out of the Bible on your mother and your father. I mean, these all all of this came right from the Bible. Sure. So, you know, you're talking to a guy that uh, listens I, to I, Irish music and doesn't drink and listens to reggae music and hates pots pot smoke. So I, I think that um I think that maybe people's issues with, with Sunseed, I mean I I think that maybe it manifests as, oh, this is, you know, Christian music, but I think it's also the fact that it's very much a novelty kind of song. It's an, and ear, I could, it's I an earworm. I can that. see why people not like it because it's an earworm type of song. Yeah. It does, it does haunt my dreams every night. Yes. <laughs> I, I look as a, as a Jewish person, I like the song very much. Um, I think the reason I do like it is because I've met Sal and, and know him personally. And to me, he represents what I think Christians strive to be, um, you know, love and honor your neighbor, you know, do, um, do good in the world and, and be a good person, you know, and, and that's, that to me is what I think he's trying to convey. And, and I, I, I get behind that 
a hundred percent. I do. I do get, I am surprised sometimes though at how angry <laughs> some ska purists get about, about the song. And, and we are going to put it out at some point. And, and honestly, I hope it pisses some, some, some people off because it hasn't been properly recorded. Um, according to Sal and, and, and we were very honored that he asked us to record it with him. So, you know, sorry, people, you're going to have to hear that song again. Uh, well, you can and, do it and to a fun- charity and then people won't have to give you any shit about it. And this well, is like, yeah, I'll tell you, we, we did consider, look, I, I guess I can talk out of school a little bit. We did approach Mephiscopheles and told them about this and said, would you like to do a split single with us? We'll put our version of Jesus is a friend of mine on one side, and you can put one of your devil worshiping ska songs on the other side. And they considered it. They literally considered it. And then they came back and they're like, nah, nah, no. (laughs) But that was kind of, we just thought like, why not? You know, why not? Let's see. I I didn't realize Mephiscopheles were such principled Satanists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I give it, look, I, 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 I totally respect their decision um, about it, and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful that they actually didn't say no out of hand. They actually were like, let us think about that, because we were going to put it out on a, on a split 45, and we thought, what could we could raise some money for something? We could do something with it. Um, but I, I think one of the things Roger and I have always slightly enjoyed is sort of um, not uh, kowtowing to the ska party line on anything. And there is a ska party line. I mean, if you go on Facebook, you'll see these posts, is this ska? And, and I don't understand, you know, are, are you being funny about it or are you being annoying about it? Like, does it matter if it sounds like ska to you? Great. If it doesn't, then don't listen to it. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I mean, do you, are you purists when it comes to that kind of stuff or do you like open to the whole world of ska? I'm open to I, all. I hate it all. It, Adam just just likes Rush. So it's just, but for me, I mean, I came from punk and then got into reggae and ska in that way. So I, that's why I'm more of, I like all types of ska. I think the the only ska I don't really care for that much is like the dub stuff because it's kind of boring to me. But I've been kind of like opening my mind a little bit towards like ska jazz because like Victor Rice new album's really good um just because i've been in a jazzy kind of mood lately um so i've been kind of branching out a little bit so it's like as my as i'm getting older i'm kind of being more accepted but before i was just like ska punk third wave and that kind of reggae kind of stuff but i i i can't go on like the ska reddit pages anymore because just everyone just wants to talk about streetlight manifesto and catch 22 and real big fish and the same fucking five bands and it's like no and i could see some people being purists that way of being just in that narrow funnel but i don't know i like that if it sounds good whatever kind of approach that you guys are i think are in the same realm too you know yeah i mean i you know good music is good music and what's good is subjective so yeah. Whatever it doesn't matter, and and as far as labeling things, I mean, Fourth I don't know. And, yeah, there, are more, there are more important things to care about in life than whether like <laughs> that particular No Doubt song is you know ska enough. I mean, is there like a litmus test? Like, is is it a is there a threshold? If it's thirty percent ska, then if it's there's ska. a couple <laughs> upstrokes, it's ska, and if there's one horn, it's ska. Now. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, at the end of the day, who cares? You know, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. I'm with you, but it it is interesting to sort of see that some people do get a little bent out of shape um, about what is ska. And, you know, I'm a two-tone person and I'm, I'm getting old. So uh, I'm a job, probably part of a dying breed of people who, who were raised listening to two-tone. But um, I know I've often felt like what's missing is just the soul uh, and some of the roots. Um, I, I do get a little bit uncomfortable sometimes with the uh, marching band, punk rock, ska, no offense, Brian, to the, some of that third wave stuff. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> Um, but, but, uh, but I'm, I'm down, look, I'm, I love that there's a big ska family and there's different branches to this tree. And, um, that's the beauty of, uh, of the music. And the fact that I think it continues to survive is because of all the, the different mutations and the different ways it can be mixed with so many different genres. So the, the way I look at it is, you know, nobody listens to, um, the Strokes or Iron Maiden or Radiohead or any, or any of those groups. Yeah, that's an Iron Maiden. And, or Aerosmith or whoever. And they don't say, that's not rock. Rock is Chubby Checker and Little Richard. Elvis. That is rock. And it's like, you know, okay, you know, Ska was like, what, it's, it's like, what, 60 years ago now? <laughs> I mean, that's a long time ago. <laughs> what's, that, what's, that, what's that phrase that we – we wouldn't want somebody in a club. What's that club? You know, uh, I, I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that, that would invite me. That was, Mark's brothers. Yeah. So I sometimes feel like the ska community is a little bit like that. You know, there's a little bit of a defensiveness about, um, you know, I think ska went through like an awkward phase, like, you know, a 13 year old <laughs> a couple of years ago and uh, people, you know, the whole black and white thing and, you know, really playing up some of the um, stereotypes that, that made it kind of jokey in some ways. And I don't consider it a joke at all. I consider ska music pretty fucking serious. And, um, and it's been the soundtrack to my life for 40 years. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just, I just take, I just take to heart, you know, criticism of the, of the music, but also, feel a little touchy sometimes when it loses some of its uh, uh, connection to, to its roots. That's all. I hear you. Um, yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I don't like when the purists kind of, I don't know, poo poo, like the other genres and stuff like, even like with the pick it up ska movie documentary, like some people, you know, didn't like it cause it didn't cover every aspect of like the East coast. So it's like East coast, West coast or Midwest kind of didn't get enough coverage. And that kind of kind of annoyed me because like, they tried to do as much as they could, but it was mostly West Coast. Um, so that kind of aspect, kind of, I wish everyone. It's if it's music and it gets you to dance, that's fine. It's like it's sometimes it's just not your cup of tea. So it's, but all right, let's move on. I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I like Mark. I totally hear you, but I also kind of look at it like, you know, there. It, it would be like you know. Oompa bands and polka band. I'm not making fun of ska. I'm just saying, like, if people are really into polka, I've been listening to polka too. And there's a that's a very small number of people who are into polka, like suddenly, you know, warred with each other and battled each other over like what was pure, you know, the oompa and polka 
from the 20s versus the 30s versus the 40s. It's like, no one else cares. <laughs> <laughs> very true, Adam, very true. Um, we got nothing better to do than fight with each other, I guess. Yeah, if you like it, you like it. And if not, listen to something else. Um, listen to whatever makes you happy. Um, how did you guys, so how do you, so how do, how is the song process of picking out songs? Is it just like, okay, I like this song. Let's do it. I don't think this can work as a ska song. Um, like, I know you say you have, you, well, you'll just add it to the list, but none of the songs that I've been suggesting have been added or have been played yet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we've had many, many discussions about this and, uh, our keyboard player, Pamela Anderson Buckley, I believe has a list that might have about 500 songs on it. Um, sounds about right. Because at one point we, we, we would play live and go on these little mini tours. People would come up to us afterwards and say, you got to play this one or you got to play that one. And diligently Pam would write it down. God bless her. And, um, we have this list, but, but honestly, um, in the latest version of the band, it sort of became like it's, we would take turns. Okay, the next song we're going to work on, it's Roger's turn to pick, or it's Jenny's turn to pick, or it's Rob Julian's turn to pick. And that's sort of where we got what we've got now. I mean, it is. It, I think it's an interesting mix of songs on this EP. I mean, I think three of them hang together very well. They're all um, traditional 80s synth pop new wave. And then you got this Rod Stewart song, <laughs> which hey, I think is partially yeah, that it's was partially my, my fault, um, uh, mainly because I'm probably the oldest person in the band, and that might have been the first Rod Stewart song I ever actually paid attention to. It was on MTV all the time. Um, Young Turks literally on MTV probably like 12 times a day, and I got MTV later than most people, so I used to sit and watch it for hours and hours, and um, I thought it was a new wave song, honestly. I didn't know Rob, uh, Rod Stewart's history as like a rock and roller or Rod the Mod or any of that stuff. I just thought it was like kind of an interesting new wave-ish sort of song. Yeah, it works. And so, yeah, I, I, and again, this whole idea of, of experimenting and saying yes. So when I suggested this song half-jokingly, I think everyone was like, totally, let's do it. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it works. And, and surprisingly, when we, when we posted the album a couple of days ago, we were contacted by the Rod Stewart fan club and they said, we really like your version of young Turks. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And I, I sent them a little info about it. And the next thing we knew we were on the Rod Stewart fan club webpage and they're like, check out this really cool version of young Turks by rude boy, George in New York. And uh, suddenly the, the listener numbers on our, 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 all our digital platforms went through the roof because all these Rod Stewart fans are checking the song out. So there you go. Who knows? You never know. You just like pick a song and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't work. That's definitely one of my like favorite songs that you guys have done. And I blame you for when you guys started playing, playing it. I'm like, I started like, well, let me go check out Rod Stewart. Now I started like listening to Rod Stewart all the time. I'm like tonight I'm yours. It's like, that's like the song I listened to. That was like um, my top 20 Spotify songs of that I listened to last year. And I just constantly listened to, like I always like remember him like that forever song when he's with that redhead kid in the barn, uh, th- th- like whatever the hell 
like on Forever seven, Young. Yeah, Forever Young. Yeah, like that video. Like I remember that on MTV a lot, but I don't remember Young Turks on. I don't really remember that song too much. So I was kind of surprised when I heard it, the original. Well, I'm like, that does sound new, new wave. It does. I think um, Roger and I got into this whole, there's this whole category of songs called new wave adjacent, which I became sort of obsessed with a couple of years ago. It's this group of songs that either the artist was not known for new wave. Maybe their sales were, were sagging in the early eighties. And somebody said to them, well, New wave. Maybe you should consider writing a new wave synth pop song, and a whole bunch of them just did it once. Um, or there were even like R and B and African American artists who sort of did new wave adjacent stuff. If you remember the song "Somebody's Watching Me," yeah, Rock by Rockwell, Rock very Jackson. very new wave adjacent. There, were, in fact, yeah. I went through a whole phase where I just was searching out online like um, what you would consider R and B artists of the '80s who sort of did new waveish sort of music because again I just found it fascinating that even for a brief moment in time everybody was sort of on the new wave bandwagon. So I never so, considered Rockwell like new wave though. Like, I always just thought he was like 80s pop because I remember that music video used to haunt the shit out of me for some reason. It was just kind of scary to me. Um, also that uh, that Eddie Murphy song. Party All the that Time. That was kind of new wavey. Uh, my my uh, baby wants to party all the time. <laughs> my yeah, girl, my girl wants to party all the time. Yeah. Girl, yeah. yeah. And um, there was a great band. I don't know where they're from. Maybe from Los Angeles called the Bus Boys. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Yeah, because they played um, before Annie Murphy Delirious. Exactly. So, you know, um, I hate to sound like the old guy. You know, like my, my music is better than anybody's. But honestly, the early 80s was an amazing time to grow up, particularly for someone like me who is so obsessed with music because people were just crossing all kinds of genres together and experimenting. And so I feel really happy that that's the music that I grew up with. And that really informs a lot of Rude Boy George. Some of the members of Rude Boy George are younger than me and Roger and Rob George. And so in some cases, like we did this song, um, Let Me Go by Heaven 17, which is a personal favorite of mine, but I wouldn't expect anybody who wasn't my age to have ever heard that. And in fact, Pam, our keyboard player was like, I have no idea about this song. I've never heard this song in my life Same here. Yep. <laughs> um, but that was one where, again, where I think I probably had a little more sway um, where I said, I think we should, I'd like to do this one. And, and actually had Rob George was a big fan of that song and heaven 17 also. So, so to answer your, it's a very long way of answering your question is, no, that's right. uh, Brian, we have, we have no fucking plan anymore. <laughs> it's pretty much whoever can come in and convince everyone else, we have to do this song. Okay. Is there, um, is there a song that you've been fighting for but keeps getting shot down? Um, I wanted to do uh, Depeche Mode, uh, Enjoy the Silence. And is that 80s you know madness? what happens? Some, uh it's like it might be 89. Yes. Might be 89. Might have just made it. But, you know, there's it. a lot of songs that we've tried once in rehearsal, and everybody will play it and we'll just be like, no, it doesn't work. Um, and, you know, you, you, work, you work on it at home and you bring it in and your fingers are crossed, oh, we're going to get it this time. And it just, we can kind of tell within like the first 
15 minutes of working on something, either it got promise or it doesn't. And so there's a lot, unfortunately, that are in the graveyard. They just well, now that you're a talented producer, you can come up with ways of doing it then, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could see, I could see um, Enjoy the Silence being sped up, but also I could see it being slowed down as a kind of a dubby, you know, creepy sort of song. Exactly. Exactly. And you're, you've always been a, a good, uh, both of you actually have, have brought uh, good suggestions to the table. I think what happens sometimes is it just, they get, you know, with seven people in a band. Yeah. It's, it's not always that easy. You got to find like a consensus and a, and a quorum of people who are willing to do it. Um, so uh, it gets a little harder sometimes, but um uh, you know, we still, I think we've, we've not even scratched the surface yeah. of, 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 we could keep doing this. I mean, I think we hope to do it a little bit longer, but there's definitely more to work on, um, more arrangements to try. Um, one thing that I never, uh, like, I've, I think I've suggested, but I'm like, how come you guys haven't covered the Smiths? And I don't know if it's because Morrissey is just an asshole or is it the type of songs it doesn't, doesn't fit. Like, I think like, frankly, Mr. Shankly might be a good one. Adam wants to talk. So go, go for it, Adam. Wait, I could I could correct you for once. I can correct you on your music knowledge because right, the earliest version of Rude Boy George, one of their first songs was "Ask" really? by The Smiths. I never heard that. Yeah, and they they played it at my birthday party, and and it was uh, Rude Boy George's Wait, first show. I didn't. Oh, was that the one of characters? I don't remember them playing that because yep. I think I was yep, there, yep. but I don't think. I don't remember them playing Ask. Well, okay, well. And I loved it. Can I, I ask loved them to it. Cover it. <laughs> yeah, it I absolutely was, loved it. It was one of the ones I liked a lot, also. And we we actually came up with a a bridge that um, used part of a Fishbone song uh, later when we we played it for a little while. But um, uh, to be honest, I'm a I've always been a huge Smiths fan, and. I, I think Morrissey is an amazing um, singer and songwriter, but I, I can no longer support I know. him, unfortunately. Um, yes, yeah, uh, shut up. <laughs> just, I mean, just it's up. funny. I, ha I had a conversation with Robert Tierney um, about this. He's also a big, big fan of Morrissey and the Smiths. And um, he sort of feels like you can keep what someone's, crazy fucking political beliefs are on one side and still appreciate them as an artist. But I think sadly for me, my Morrissey fandom has now come to a close. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I stole, I'm a huge Smiths fan, but I kind of like, Oh, just shut up Morrissey. But there's certain artists where it's kind of like, if it's something that they've done or something, it's like sometimes I can separate the music or the movie from the actor and, and vice versa. But sometimes I don't, right now I'm still a Smith's fan and I constantly listen to it. My wife's like, God, this is depressing. I'm like, it's Smith Saturday. It's Smith Sa Sunday. <laughs> I, think what, I think what Brian's trying to say is that he still really likes R Kelly. Uh, <laughs> that would be a negative. No, I never liked R Kelly. Bobby Brown though. I like Bobby Brown. <laughs> I, I got to say, though, you know, Mark, like if, if Getty Lee ever said, um, you know, hey, all Canadian lives matter, eh? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I think my head would explode. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because when I was growing up, you know, Morrissey represented this idea of being an outsider. You know, I mean, it was pretty clear to most of us when I was in college that he was gay. 
and and that and and being gay in the early 80s was was rough for, for you know for for kids I knew in college who were gay and so um, I, I think that always was attractive to me that he had this outsider's perspective um, and that his uh, worldview was worth listening to and and I think that's what I got into and I mean you know look Johnny Morris one of the greatest guitar yeah. players that's ever lived. So between this amazing lyricist and this amazing guitar player, they wrote fantastic pop songs um, that you can't deny. But, but sadly, I think he squandered that, that legacy sadly with, you know, really fucked up political beliefs, you know, keep that shit to yourself. You know, if, if that's what you think, then that's fine. Vote that way. But we don't all need to, you don't need to sort of promote, you know, in this day and age we live in, unfortunately, we don't, I don't think that really, it's not inclusive, and that's what the, is the the hard part for me to reconcile. Is that this is a guy who, you know, made a case for 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 outsiders, and then sort of excludes others. And, and I think that's that's for me the worst part. Yeah, it's it's I've noticed definitely in like the last five ten years, you know, just with social media, just like some people that you've liked over the years, and then you see that they're posting just stupid shit. It's like it's, this goes for family members too. Uh, <laughs> But it's just like it's just hard to uh, like like it, there's got to be a line somewhere that whether or not that person's on the right side of it or not. So I could see your point of view about Morrissey. Um, was there so going back to '80s kind of stuff? It, did you just mainly listen to like the new wave stuff? Did you listen to the pop? Were, were you a metalhead or like uh, I was like a metalhead in, in like '80s Guns and Roses and '80 like that kind of metal Alice Cooper. <laughs> No, I, I didn't have an older brother or sister. I was on my own. So um, <laughs> I wasn't influenced by by anybody. So all my musical interests were, I discovered on my own. In fact, I started out listening to um, the radio, and I was really into WKTU 92.3. Before it was a classic rock station, it was actually a disco station. Oh. And that's the first music I ever listened to. I was obsessed with disco. Um, and... From there, I think, you know, it was from, from there I was introduced to ska, actually. I, someone gave me this first specials album when I was 14 in 1979, and uh, that changed my life. But it also opened up the door to all this other new music. And um, I literally haunted record stores where I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. I think I probably went to the record store three times a week. And uh, I, had, I had an after-school job, so I had a little bit of cash in my pocket. And um, you could really rely on people who worked at record stores back then to, to steer you to, to learn about new music. So is and, that how and you I, found like the specials and, and did you just like ask people or did you like, Oh, well, you know, if you like them like this or listen to this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I would go in and say, do you have any other two tone records? Cause I wasn't, you know, just, there was no internet. So you just had yeah. to sort of be like a music detective. And if the record clerk wasn't an asshole, <laughs> A lot of them were, but if there wasn't an asshole, they would say, well, there's, you know, here's this new album by the selector. And if you like this, you might also like bad manners. And if you like bad manners, you might like madness. So it was like, you had to actually be inquisitive. You had to ask questions and you just had to spend time going through the racks. I mean, a lot of times I bought something because I thought the album cover was cool. Yeah, I did that too. And then I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, I don't like this. <laughs> Yeah. It, even when I like the late nineties, I was still like that before the internet because you couldn't listen to it. So either you had to buy it, listen to it and then return it 
or then or rip it and then <laughs> and then return it. Um, but yeah, it was the same way. Like, like, oh, this album cover looks cool. I think that's how I found the specials. Like, I didn't know there were specials or ska. And then I found like it was like their singles collection that I got at like the Borders bookstore or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so that's how I found the specials. But I, I mean, I, I listened to Madness back in the 80s. Like it was that they were always on the radio, like our house. But I didn't know it was like considered ska or two-tone. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, when, as I've been interviewing people, for this uh, oral history I'm writing, um, all of these bands come up, and it's funny how how many people had similar experiences. That they all, in some cases, their entree was madness, but none of them knew that madness yeah. was were technically considered a ska band. I mean, by the time they got to their third and fourth albums, I think you can make the argument that they were no longer a ska band; they were a pop band. But um, that was a lot. That was the way in for lots of folks. And you're right. You would hear our house on the radio one summer, 1983, the summer of 83. You would hear it all the time. So, so Mark, you've uh, referred to this book that you're writing. Can you tell us about it, or is it? I mean, I know it's not a secret project. You you talk about it on Facebook. What can you tell us about it? I can tell you that it's almost done. <laughs> Thank God. Um, Seems like it's been a while, uh, right? Like a, a year or so you've been working on it? Two and a half years. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ask my wife. I think she thinks it feels more like five years. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wrote this blog for about 10 years called Marco on the Bass. And, and the great thing, the, the most enjoyable thing about that blog was I just wrote about anything I wanted to write about. It was like... Uh, Okay. If, if, if I was interested in it, then I wrote about it. And so um, two and a half years ago, there was this very small publishing house called DeWolf who had put out this book about City Gardens, which book. is this kind of iconic club in Trenton, New Jersey that I spent a lot of time at. And um, great book. And then they did a documentary about it that was fantastic. I haven't seen that documentary yet. Is it out like on streaming or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to yeah. watch it. You should definitely, definitely watch it. Okay. Um, but they they approached me and said, we think um, ska music would be a really interesting niche for us, and we don't think anybody's really ever written a book about American ska. Are you up for it? And I told you guys about this. I had the this year of saying yes. <laughs> so I said yes. And I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into when I said yes. And I, I flip-flopped around for a couple of weeks, not really understanding what my path forward was going to be. And then my wife, God bless her said, well, maybe you should just keep this simple and just pick a couple of bands that you'd, you'd like to write about. And um, then the light bulb went off and I was like, of course it should be an oral history. Cause it should be the people who were in these bands that I worship and so influential to me telling their own stories. And once I kind of came up with a, um, a concept, everything fell into place. It was just really more at that point, a matter of coming up with a list of bands that I wanted to, to write about and then literally contacting the people in those bands or, or fans of those bands or DJs or club promoters um, and interviewing them literally about each band's story. And that's what I've been doing for the last two and a half years. It's been um, a lot of hard work, but very, very, very satisfying. Yeah, you see. Um, because some of, yeah. 
No, I was gonna say Go you ahead. seem you seem very like every time you post on Facebook, you're just like you're just so happy that you talked to this person. You you learned so much. So that's what it seems like. I can't wait to read this book because there's a lot of bands I don't like. I didn't grow up listening to, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've always been a, a fan of the underdog ever since I've been a kid, and um, ska bands are underdog bands in my in my estimation. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. And, and a lot of the bands that I'm telling the stories of um, were so passionate and so committed to ska music and, and, and an American version of ska music. And, and it was so infectious to me that I, even at my age now, my 50s, it's still exciting to me to talk to Dan Vitale from, the, from Bim Scala Bim or Jerry Miller from The Untouchables, um, you know, or, or to talk to some of the guys in, in – Mighty Mighty Boston's about why Bim Scala Bim was influential to them. I mean, that that stuff really still gets me very, very hot and bothered. <laughs> and um, and I hope that comes through. And, and again, the, the other thing about this book is it's an oral history. Under no circumstances do I feel qualified to tell the story of American ska. No one's interested in Mark Wasserman's narrative on American ska, but they are interested in what the 10 members of BIM Scala BIM have to say about how their band started or the untouchables or Skadanks or the boilers or, or the toasters or um, beat brigade, or I'm working on a, a chapter right now on let's go bowling. Um, there's 19 chapters. That's my first guy show. Book. 1996. So, um, you know, Mark, that's, you know, that's your magic that you put on it is, you know, you may, you may take a step back as sort of, an observer and let them speak to it, but you're curating this, you're organizing it, you're 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 painting a, a picture of this, and you're telling this story that has never been told before. And you may not be the one, you know, literally telling the story, but you you are creating the the story arc in the way that you're organizing this. It's it's incredible. Thank you. It, it, it is in some ways very similar to being a music producer. I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's sort of like I've got a hundred pages of transcripts for one band's story, and I have to go through each person's story and pull out the best stories and anecdotes. Um, I like to say that the book is sort of a um, human condition, both the good and the bad, set to a ska soundtrack because there are really some incredible stories if you like i love musical oral histories i don't know if you guys have read any no, i like the city um, gardens one was really good yeah yeah I, I find that when you can read what the actual person's experience was i mean for instance um king Django, jeff baker it, it tells some fantastic stories about how he became um obsessed with reggae and how his he talked his mom into driving him to um, the Jamaican part of Brooklyn in the 80s and, and basically dropping him off at a at a reggae record store. And he went in there. He's the only white person in the entire store. In fact, when he went in, there was nobody there. And um, there was a woman behind the counter, and she just started playing records for him. And she, and she was just as amazed that he was there as he was himself that he was there. Um, but it's stories like that. There's so many of them, so many people who, who we all respect 
it's great to hear them tell their own stories about how they got excited about ska music and why they became a musician. Why did they pick the instrument they play? What did they think of the people they started a band with? Um, what was it like to fight Nazi skinheads? You know, um, what was it like when Bucket signed them to a deal on Moon Records? I mean, just stuff that I hope if you're a, a fan of ska music, you'll enjoy reading. And so many of these people deserve our, our respect and they don't in many cases get the um, credit that they deserve for popularizing the music and influencing a lot of the third wave bands, I think, that are, are the, the bands that most people consider to be ska bands now. Well, do you think do you think if this book is a huge hit, which I think it will be because I can't wait to read it because it's something that I haven't experienced, do you think you would maybe make it into a documentary if you like maybe put it in the right hands or, you know? Yeah, I, I, I got some good advice from somebody who told me, you know, when you're working on a project like this, you should start thinking about your next project. And, and I have, I have, um, I don't know what it's going to be yet or what form it's going to take, but it will be, um, an extension of this project. And I think in some way, shape or form, whether it's a documentary, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a short animated film of some kind, the, the, a number of stories that I've heard, some of them are worthy of being movies, honestly, or, or short films or documentaries. Like, you know, somebody could do a documentary just on the untouchables, to be honest with you. Um, somebody could do a documentary on Skadanks, who a lot of people don't know. Uh, Adam, you might be familiar with them because, you, you know, you were part of the, that whole circle. But, you know, four white guys who get signed by KRS-One to be a reggae hip hop band. I mean, it's just like, what, you know, um, and have a, have a uh, hit song on, um, what was the, uh, the black version of MTV in the, in the nineties? BET. Uh, BET. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Their, their video was like on BET every day for like two months. So like shit like that, just to me, I just love stuff like that. Those kind of stories. And there's so many of them in this book. But what I, you know, if if I may, what I gather from um, what you've posted on Facebook and and the uh, the excerpts, you know, it's it's not just um, you know individuals telling their personal stories that you know that would have someone scratch their head and be like, okay, who cares? It's actually woven really nicely into this sort of tapestry of what became the foundation for for third wave ska. So it's not just um, you know some uh, you know random horn yeah. player and some band you never heard of, but it, it actually tells this larger story of what what ended up building this movement that became so big in the '90s. Yeah, uh, agree, a hundred percent. That that's why it's taken me so long. <laughs> I think because. Um, I've really worked very hard to do that, what you just described, Adam, um, because you can't tell the story of the toasters without New York City almost being like a, a character in, in the chapter. And you can't tell the story of the untouchables without early 80s Los Angeles being a, 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 a kind of a, a umbrella character in the story as well, uh, or even Bim Scala Bim and how Boston sort of formed them. Um, and, uh, that's been a, a huge part of it. And also, you know, I considered being a political science professor in, a, in, an, in an earlier life. 
I almost went down that route. And, and um, to me, the what was so interesting about Two-Tone was the political um, commentary of it. And in many ways, it, it shaped my own view of, of politics in the world. So I give a lot of credit to the specials and and the English beat and the selector for 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 opening my eyes to, to certain things. And um, that's a huge part of this book is is the influence that those bands in England had on American kids like me and how they raised us in many ways to have a similar perspective on the world. And so I've really worked hard to make sure that that, that element. I ask people lots and lots of questions like that. So hopefully that comes through. And to your to you're right. It's not just, you know, oh, you know, we drank a, a, a ton of Jim Beam and did lines of coke off a hooker's ass. You know, it's not there might be some of those in here, but but it's surrounded by something hopefully um that's a little bit more socio political as well. Yeah, I feel like the the time and place plays such a role in in all of these bands and then in in the beginnings of third wave ska. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the chapters is is a, about a band from LA called the Box Boys, which I guarantee you no one has heard of. Mm. But without the Box Boys, there's no Untouchables, and without the Untouchables, there's there's not a lot of American ska in California. Everyone who be, who started a ska band in California saw the Untouchables. They were the be all end all of ska in California and the West Coast for three or four years, and Gwen Stefani was at shows that the Box Boys played, and she was at shows that the Untouchables played, and she was at shows that Fishbone played. So without those three her. bands, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> but but frankly, plenty of people saw her at those shows, and so to your point, Adam. Um, she was totally influenced by the Box Boys and the Untouchables and Fishbone to start, and her brother too, to start, no doubt. And the members of, of, of um, Mighty Mighty Boston's who I spoke to, 100% will say, without Bim Scalabim, there's no Boston's. And the Toasters had such an impact on, you know, the first couple tours they did. They went to places where no one had heard ska before, and then they came back two years later and there were ska bands everywhere. So, you know, all of these bands deserve credit for for all of the bands that everyone is so excited about and into now. You know, um, Real Big Fish and and um, Op Ivy and and Rancid. All all owe a debt of gratitude to all these bands that are in this book. And um, so, so sorry, Brian. I, I don't mean to jump in, but this no, this to me is really fascinating. And I'm wondering, you know, is there anyone? that you wanted to interview either a band or an individual that, you know, kind of got away or, or maybe, you know, sadly they might be deceased or just fallen off the grid. Yeah. Um, the guitar player for the untouchables, uh, name was Clyde Grimes. And, uh, sadly he passed away in 2016, you know, long before I, I started this project, but, um, everyone I interviewed in that chapter on the untouchables and also the chapter on, on the box boys talk about him in such glowing terms that the guy, they said he floated when he was on stage um, and that his guitar playing was just uh, unbelievable. And, and, not, and you combine that with like this impeccable style that he had 
that he really was the um, the engine behind that band. And I would have loved to have been able to interview him. I've talked to all of his bandmates and they all speak so highly of him. And so do a lot of the people from that scene in LA, you know, he's again, someone who, um, who doesn't get the credit he deserves. And um, I'm hoping uh, I can tell you guys here and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to happen, but I, I'm hoping to be able to put a picture of him on the cover of the book, but I have to sort of negotiate my publisher has to sort of do some negotiations with the photographer. But if we can make it work to me, that would be the, uh, the, the best way, you know, to, to, honor to bring the idea of Scott, ska, ska boom, this idea of a ska boom. He encapsulates the imagery of that. There's this very famous picture of him jumping up almost like Pete Townsend. Um, it's like, it's on like, like it's extended on the or something. Oh, okay. That's him. Okay. Exactly. And, uh, to me, that's, he, uh, it's the two-tone movement through him becomes an American experience. Um, and so I'm hoping, you know, that that, that, that can work. Um, you know, uh, there were a couple of, of two-tone folks who I did reach out to and for whatever reason, who just weren't able to connect. I, I think um, uh, they're contacted so much for so many things that I think sometimes it's hard for them to be able to say yes to everything. And, you know, they don't, they don't know, uh, what this project could become. And so I, I, I'm great. You know, many cases they, they did respond to me and just said, I'm sorry, I'm not able to talk to you right now, but I would have loved to, but some of them have, uh, Horace Panther's writing the forward for this book. And, um, and, uh, there's a couple other people, two tone specific people in the book but I really felt it was important to, to have that. But, you know, Adam, to be, to be honest, nearly everybody that I reached out to was, was gracious with their time. And, and a lot of them were, were more than willing to, to talk to me. And so that's what's really made this project. Because without the cooperation of so many people, there would be no book. I mean, a, an oral history depends on yeah. the willingness of the subjects to talk to you. And you're just writing a book. <laughs> Right. You know, Mark, you're, uh, what's funny is that I feel like y you should be a subject of your own book because Bigger Thomas is, what What year did Bigger Thomas or Was it Panic that started, right? It was, you guys were called Panic? Yeah. Um, we started in 1988, uh, so near the end. I was 10. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did interview Roger. Roger's in the book. Uh, did but he not say about, no? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he, uh, he told a great story about seeing the toasters for the very first time uh, and the influence and the impact that that had on him. And I actually met him shortly after that. And that, that had a lot to do with us starting a band. But um, I, I felt uncomfortable um, putting Bigger Thomas in this book. I, I, I feel we had like our say, and we definitely, you know, can say that we were the first ska band from New Jersey, but I don't, I don't rank us in the same league as I do with a lot of the bands that I'm, I'm writing about in this book who really were um, game changers. You know, there's a, there's a chapter um, in here about a band called the Shakers who I guarantee you no one's heard of either. Nope. <laughs> but we're the fir first American reggae band. And, um, were signed to a major label. Um, in fact, David Geffen signed them. And um, 
the label had no idea what to do with them. They thought they were going to turn them into the next Beach Boys. And this band was adamant about being an American reggae band. So the real interesting story is the this fight and tension that existed between the band who were getting a, you know, everything paid for in this amazing studio in LA and a producer who was like, did not, could not understand what reggae was. So to me, again, um, that's a more important story, a bigger story than um, my little ska band from New Jersey. But, but my editor did make me put myself in the book, Adam, you'll be happy to know. There's a story in the chapter on Mephiscopheles that I was witness to, and he made me – I have one line in, in the book about a fight that happened between a member of, of Bigger Thomas and a member of Mephiscopheles. What's so your line? I, oh, shit. I, I, I'll tell you what happened. So um, it's Brian uh, who is the keyboard, the original keyboard player from Mephiscopheles, a wonderful guy, a really interesting, innovative, creative person across the board. Um, we played with them. I don't even remember where. I think we were in Connecticut. And um, we used to have a trumpet player named Kevin Shields, a, a, another amazing person. But both those guys liked to have a couple drinks. And um, and uh, Kevin could be a very sarcastic motherfucker sometimes. And um, I think Brian was pl- – something happened where where – Brian was walking off stage and he had dropped something. And I think Kevin said like smooth move X lax. I think that was the exact line. <laughs> and, um, and Brian said, what? And they basically started to have like a fist fight on stage. And the audience I think was like, is this part of the show? Is this a real fight? And um, we all were like, what the fuck is happening here? And later they kissed and made up like two Irish guys, you know, basically they oh, went dude. to the bar and had another drink. And it turned out, you know, um, Brian had been in the Navy and Kevin had been in the Coast Guard. And so they started telling Navy and Coast Guard stories. That's the wrap up of that story. That's the only reason I'm in the book is because I witnessed this <laughs> fight and then kiss and make up at the bar later. So that's my cameo. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, now, to, to so another project you're working on, like you don't have enough, is uh, you're you're doing a new wave band with uh, with Roger and I think Rob Tierney, right? Uh, like Scars for Mars or, or something is called. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, why not? Again, just say yes to everything. Um, yeah, we had a great experience with Rob Tierney in the studio when we were working with him on some Heaven's Beat tracks, and um, I didn't really know him that well. Before then, my, you know, my band had opened up for the New York citizens a couple of times and we were always terrified of the New York citizens. They had a real swagger back in the day. They were a real intimidating bunch. They were like a gang. They're like a ska gang. And um, they didn't suffer fools. So they, <laughs> we watched our step around them. But we were, I was always very uh, big fan of theirs. I mean, um, you know, without the New York citizens, there might not be a uh, mighty mighty Boston's. I think the New York citizens sort of started Skakor, to be honest with you. And and I'll I'll debate that with anybody. I think you can make the case that that they invented that, and the mighty mighty Boston's picked up on it. But mm-hmm. but I got to know Rob in the in the studio, and it, it it turned out that we had a lot in common when it came to music. And he loves '80s music, but he likes all music. Like he's a very very eclectic taste in music. But I have been working on non. Heavensby stuff. I love 80s new wave. 
and I was working on a lot of 80s new wave inspired music and I just started sending them to him and he is a fantastic lyric writer and a prolific lyric writer and I could send him songs and two days later he would send me back fully completed lyrics for songs so we started to to record them and convinced Roger to sing along um, and the two of them together are actually have a really interesting sound and we've we've released a few songs on Bandcamp and we have a lot more that we want to work on once it's safe to to be in proximity to one another in a studio um, but again it's been a, it's been fun to, to do something that's not ska or, or reggae focused but to sort of indulge my love of synth pop and an 80s new wave just need to do a soul band or a polka band next you know <laughs> I think this is it I think this is it. Although I will say, I, Roger and I are working on another project with another uh, big ska person from from the '80s and '90s. I won't don't want to say anything else about it right now. But somebody who who we met when we were on tour in the Midwest last year, and someone who's in the book, uh, who I have a great deal of respect for, and I think this project will be really interesting. Do what um, they've. <laughs> it's going to be ska. Oh, it's okay. ska. But I think what's fascinating is uh, Roger and this guy are quite a combination together. Uh, a lot of similarities, similar worldviews, and I think um, it could be like a real powerful um, take on the world that they both have. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, yeah, I'll add that to the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking about the world, I mean, there's a lot of shit going on right now. I mean, do you think – when shows happen again, do you think, do you see it being different? Like, do you see it like no more moshing, like stricter restrictions or like. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, we were supposed to go to England again yeah. this fall to play the specialized festival. Um, you know, we went the last two years in a row and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, to, to play a, a dedicated ska festival. And the people there were very warm and welcoming to us. Um, last year's festival in particular, we stayed for the whole thing. And uh, the community that's built around the idea of Specialized is very, very special. It, it's, a, it's a real a warm, loving family of about, you know, a thousand people. Um, but I think we've unfortunately decided that we don't think it's, a good idea for us to go this year to, to answer your question. I don't think that there's enough that we know about how to have a, yeah. a festival safely. How do you, um, how do you stand shoulder to shoulder with, with somebody um, in a packed, um, you know, a packed show? H how do you drink at a bar with people? And, and the specialized festival is, is um, you know, you stay in caravans. It's a, it's a, you know, all in one. Oh. And so how do you stay safely in a caravan with, with other people? Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I don't know that it's, it's, I don't think we're going to see live music for some time. Yeah. The, the way that we, the way that we've, ex we're used to it, have experienced it in the past. I don't see that happening for a while. Like I made that joke on, I think like Instagram where like the, the muster plug was behind, they were playing behind a plexiglass, which I mean, the singers could be the same way too, because it's just, you know, certain singers spit. So, I mean, like, unless there's like a vaccine, I just can't see shows happening for like a while. So it's, unfortunately, it's good. Oh be yeah. I mean, I don't know what the, virtual. I don't, I don't know what the CDC has said about spit valves yet, <laughs> but there, there needs to be some guidance. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if even if you just read um, about how the virus is transmitted, it's 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 through you know um, your breath. Yeah, the particles. And yeah, s- singers expel so much breath when they're singing that I I can't imagine that that's safe for the band on stage nor for the people in the front. Yeah. Um, uh, if we don't know what they're you know if they haven't tested if we don't know what they're they're uh, if they've tested positive or not, how do you, how do you ensure the safety of of everybody? I mean, I think the biggest super spreader event that I've read about was a choir somewhere. I think on the West Coast, um, right. I think like sixty three out of eighty people got got coronavirus. Um, so I, I I don't know. I guess I don't Daft, know. I guess Daft Punk's okay because they're like in helmets. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know about that. I mean, I just I I, yeah, I think. I you know the the ska community's been great. The last uh, over the last couple of weeks, there have been two online Facebook festivals the Super where bands Bowl, either yeah. right. And I think that might be the way to go. I mean, that was free, but but maybe bands. In fact, I saw Madness did a um, a show online. I don't know if you guys saw it or not. Yes, yeah, they were briefly, socially yeah. distant from one another, and um, they broadcast it on Facebook and. Um, that might be the way that this has to go for the for the foreseeable future is that bands charge something online and people pay and watch it, you know, remotely. Yeah, Slackers just did that, um, I think, last weekend where they, I guess, I don't know if I didn't get to see it because I didn't get to pay for it. Um, but I, I, I think some of them were mostly in the same area. Some were split up. But I guess, I mean, is that something that Rupo George could, would consider doing maybe? Yeah, there is a platform. I know Rob George has has looked into it. I know uh, Hub City Stompers used it um, for the song that they performed on the Supernova Festival, but where you can all play contemporaneously, or the, you know, at the same time, but you're yeah. in remote locations. So I think at some point we may need to, to do that because uh, there were shows that we booked that obviously, like everybody else, they're all canceled now. I know. It's just, just I, I could see some bands wanting to take a step back because there's just so much online stuff now. Um, that is like, Oh, come check out our virtual show. It's like, Oh God, again. Uh, <laughs> but you know, people have to make a living and get out there and don't want to stay rusty. So, I mean, at some point, yeah, people have to get back out there. Um, hopefully you guys do, you know, I'll definitely support it and watch. Thank you. I mean, I think that, um, this is just kind of spitballing here. Not actually spitballing because that's not yeah, per guidance of CDC, but um, but I feel like what's going to happen is the opposite of having big mass events virtually. I think for bands to survive, it's going to go the opposite, where bands will actually do customized things for individuals and for small groups, where you know it's like Rude Boy George, for example. You know, for two hundred dollars, we'll cover a song for you and then wish you a happy birthday. You know, like that Cameo, kind of thing. <laughs> I see a lot. I see that being the the sort of the money maker or the business side of how bands will be able to survive this. I think you're absolutely right, Adam. Yeah, I think people are going to have to get creative, and um, and bands that have a very passionate fan base, like the Slackers, I think can probably do that to the extent where they might be able to continue to su- support themselves. Absolutely. 
All right. I mean, let's right, not so end it on a. If huge anyone donor. has a birthday coming up, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Brian. I actually do have a birthday coming up. <laughs> July. What 19th. song do you want us to record for you, Brian? Oh, I would we'll like do to it. hear Comsat Angels. Will you right. stay tonight? <laughs> I have. I have one. I, I will pay Rude Boy George to do When in Rome's The Promise. That's a good one. And right. you can call yourselves when in home because <laughs> of Trevor. <laughs> All right. All right. I know that Comsat Angel song is one that you've been asking us to play, Brian, yeah. for maybe five years. Um, <laughs> or tonight, uh, tonight, that, um, tonight She Comes, The Cars. That's a good one, too. Yes. Might be on the list already. Yeah, but uh, It is. But uh, <laughs> happy to do that for you guys. Whenever we can get together as a band, whenever that happens. Well, you know, I'll I'll buy Brian's for his birthday. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but maybe maybe rejunk. Well, maybe we should do like a fundraiser for some bands or something. Maybe we should do like I, I have to. I, I'm seeing everyone doing like these virtual things where people, you know, like Supernova and I think New Jersey Ska Society, like Facebook group, they have like. So maybe rejunk needs to get on the game too and get some bands involved, and maybe we can do like some type of charity or donation to some bands and oh please some they, someone needs to do a fundraiser for us come on i mean yeah i am in medical debt still uh, <laughs> but who's paying for the who's paying for these microphones and headphones come on me i mean I, that's kristen's like wow you got you're always doing everything that's costing you money <laughs> all right i'll let you guys have the last word i'm going all to right. mute myself all right Thanks for chipping in. Great to talk to you, Adam. All right. Um, let's, let's finish this up here. We're not ending on a complete downer of COVID talk. Uh, so let's just talk about what movies and TVs you've been watching. Man, I, I started watching a show last night, which might now be my, my one of my favorite shows, What What We Do in the Shadows. Yes, the best Holy show. shit. <laughs> I, I, like, I can't believe I just discovered this show, but I feel so lucky. Um, it might be one of the best shows I've ever seen. If you haven't watched this show, you have to go watch it. It's on Hulu. And oh Netflix, my God. It's, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I, I would just say it, the, 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 the quick description would be, it's sort of like the office, um, except it's about vampires. On <laughs> That's Staten all I'll say. On Staten Island. Yeah. On Staten Island. Yes. On yeah. Staten Island. Well, um, yeah, the first season's great because they go and kill a Scott. They kill a ska band. Don't tell me. Oh, don't tell me. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought you said in. you watched it. I'm only two episodes in. Okay. Um, well, that's first season. Then, then if I kill a ska band, then it's definitely going to be my favorite show of all time. That's just um, the first season. The second season is like, I can, I kind of compare it to The Office. The, the first season of The Office is kind of awkward in a little way. And then the second season, it branches out into just its own and it's 10 times better. Um, I can't wait. Yeah. So. If you have FX, uh, on and then the Hulu, other show, yeah. the other show I'm watching is Berlin Babylon. I don't know if you guys have watched that at all. Oh, Adam's, holy shit! Adam's giving a thumbs up. I don't know um, who's in it. Uh, so I good! Get, it's so good! So good! Um, it's a German show about a police officer, a vice police officer in Berlin in 1929, and the the um, comparison to Berlin 1929 to our world in the United States in 2020 is really shockingly so, close. Yeah. So very similar. So 
how can people watch it and where it and who's in it? It's on it's on Netflix okay. and uh, it was in German, so it's dubbed in English, and that's a little annoying because some of the voices in English don't quite match the the look of the characters. But once you sort of get over that, the story is so good that you really have to pay attention. It's really there's multiple storylines, but it is one of the best shows that I've I've seen in a long time. So that's another one. Are you saying I got to read? You got to read. Well, no, you, 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 it's, it's dubbed. Oh, it's dubbed. It's All dubbed right. In English. Yeah, I mean, like, my wife and I tried, okay. we tried watching it in German because we were annoyed by the, the dubbed English voices, but we went back to the dubbed English voices because the, the subtitles got annoying after a little while, but okay. great show. Great show. And then, yeah, I just watched, it's, it's, I just watched Watchmen and you, yeah, you commented and said that it was, that was a good, that, that was you last think year, but that was, that was great. I mean, I, I liked it. Um, I'd be curious to see if they continue on, but I kind of, the way no, they ended not. it was, yeah, I mean, the way they're they continued not, uh, or ended it was the, great. The, uh, the guy who did it, uh, Damien, Damien Lindelof yeah. said, I'm not, I'm not doing another version, but what I love, what I think is important for that show and for, for anybody who's listening, if you haven't watched it, you should, it starts during this riot in Tulsa yeah. in 1919, um, which very few people knew about. And it's where tr- Trump wanted to schedule his Tulsa yep. rally the same day as, as the anniversary of this essentially white supremacist riot against the black community of Tulsa. Racist so, dog whistle, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's, that was a great show also. I, I, I thought that, that show... And I'm not a comic book guy at all, but I thought that show was was expertly done. Yeah, great, it, great it again, social commentary. Yeah, it didn't really feel if it was like there was some type of superhero stuff in it with you know certain characters, but it was it, mo- it mainly felt like a cop show in a way, but futuristic and definitely the social commentary of it all. It was definitely a good, I guess, miniseries. But what with that said, I mean, their their HBO is c- maybe consider considering continuing on without Damon Damon Lindelof, Um, which I think he gave his blessing, but I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Yeah, I I think that's a hard act to follow. I mean, I thought that show was perfect, you know, from top top to bottom and um, took on a topic that I think is is relevant more than ever, but but a hard one to do well, and I think that that they did do it really well. The first – so – Going back to eighties, the I just reviewed Pretty in Pink. That was the second time I've only seen that movie. So it just came out on Blu Blu-ray for the first time. So it was just like one of the best soundtracks of the eighties. It's like all the new wave stuff. Um but man, I, I don't like Ducky. I don't like <laughs> And it's kind of funny because like it remind it reminded me of me a little bit, but not as obsessive. I think like him just like checking out Molly Ringwald the entire time. John Hughes did not, did not age well <laughs> in this <laughs> day and age. All right. This is Adam. I, I unmuted. I, I thought we were wrapping up. I no, know that we we're going to talk, talk about, about amazing TV shows and, <laughs> and eighties movies. Damn. Just talk about music. All, all right. Time. Let's add another hour to the meter. Come on. No, we're, we're wrapping. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to end it on a downer of like COVID like shows. Yeah. Shows are never coming back. <laughs> You know, it's like, I don't know, I want to talk about movies and, and TV. Well, I, I feel bummed because I I uh, moved to New Jersey and there's an amazing AMC movie theater pretty close to where I live. And I bought this, whatever their oh, club thing was, Stubbs, right? I bought it like 
two months before COVID because I was literally like, this is the best. These seats go back mm-hmm. and, you know, there's only like 20 people in the theater. I can't wait to come here like once a week. I don't think I'm going to the, I don't want to end on a downer. I hope I get to go to the movies. I love to go to the movies. One of my favorite things in the world to do. And I'm bummed because it's not the same watching at home. I like the whole routine of going to the movies. I like my, and I've indoctrinated my kid into going to the movies. You wait online, you get your Coke and popcorn, you get your cool seat, you go, you lean back and you just chill and watch a movie. And I hope he gets to have that experience um, growing up. I hope we can go back to doing that kind of stuff because because I, I mean, my life is is completely formed by mo- movies and music. So yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know what I would pick if I was like on an island that had electricity. Like if I would pick movies or music. I, I lately during this pandemic though, I've been I've been just listening to a lot of music because my kids always here. So it's kind of like a lot of the movies I want to watch is like at late at night, and by the time it's late at night, I'm just like exhausted. So it's yeah. just been listening to like a lots of, and it hasn't just been like ska. I've been listening to like just like gypsy jazz and classical music and then soul music and oldies. And I just been like, just trying to like, I've been making shitloads of playlists just kind of, I don't know. I've just not been in a TV movie mood lately. I don't know why it's, it's like lately I like, or maybe the last couple of weeks I have, but like the first couple months it's been like just music all the time yeah whatever whatever is a solve for your soul in these days i mean yeah i went to the dentist the other day and i I was it was the happiest i've ever been to go to the dentist because it was something to do because i was actually talking to other people in a room and i had never like they were drilling me and i was like this is the greatest day of my life drilling (laughs) you they're having sex with me yes brian and cleaning your teeth. <laughs> what kind of dentist is this? Uh, yeah, I, 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 the first time going somewhere was I had to go get car problems because my car just sat there for three months. So I had to go to the mechanic to get things. And I was just, it feels like you're stepping into like Mars, like the first time you step into another, because I haven't gone grocery shopping. I've done online grocery shopping. So I haven't been in a place for like three months. So I was like, finally stepping in, I was like, <gasps> And like, just kind of felt like I shouldn't breathe or anything. It's just, it's kind of surreal. But now I've kind of been, I've been doing like a photo challenge every day to get out a little bit wearing my mask. And it's just the stupidity of people not wearing masks is just driving me crazy. That it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go back inside. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of stupidity out there, unfortunately. Yeah. But going back to movie theaters, AMC, I think, is reopening in July and it's kind of and, and they're saying that they're not going to like mandate people wearing masks. And I'm like, that's then I'm not going. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not going to have people going then. And it's no. uh, yeah, it's, it's like the movie theaters are disgusting to begin with. I just can't see it. Them cleaning it up that well before or after each showing. I don't know but. I'm probably going to wait a year. I'm I'm fine watching. I have a 60-something inch TV. I'm fine watching movies at home. Yeah. Although, I mean, the whole shared experience is part of what makes it so fun. Yeah. Um, Like going to uh, Mike. The only movies I would go to would be Marvel or Star Wars. And just that was the first movie I saw in the theater was 
Return of the Jedi in 1983 and then seeing everyone cheering as Darth Vader threw the Emperor into the pit. That was like the one of the most my favorite memories of going to the movies ever. Um, so I, I hopefully that, that that comes back because I mean a lot of people have big TVs so some people probably will stay home but it's that experience of seeing going to I think what it's going to happen is I think a lot of the smaller movies are going to suffer I think and like the bigger like Marvel blockbuster movies are still going to be it's like going to be like an event to go to the movie theater we'll see yeah. what happens hopefully yeah. it goes back to somewhat of normalcy soon sooner rather than later yeah all right let's wrap this up all right so it's got an hour and a half now <laughs> i'm sure adam wants to go to bed okay no adam looks tired <laughs> um okay so where could everyone find all of the buttloads of projects that you're working on um facebook, <laughs> facebook. okay so uh rude boy george facebook page there's a heavens be facebook page same thing on instagram for both um uh, I have a uh, Ska Boom Facebook page that, that keeps people up to date on, on these updates that I share. Those, those are probably the safest places to find. I'm not going to probably remember any, any other place right now. But I don't do, think, but do more podcasts. I like listening to some of the phone calls that you were doing. I, I am actually going to do podcasts. That's uh, Once the book manuscript is done and handed in, I'm actually going to um, explore the podcast realm a bit more. I want to actually dig into some of the albums. Yeah, no one's doing it. So, I mean, recorded. feel free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me and nine billion other people. Right? I know, Mike. Uh, that's that's kind of one of the reasons why I haven't like, had motivation to do this because I'm like, every singer is doing a podcast. I'm like, no one's like, wants to fucking hear from me. Uh, <laughs> but I'd like to just talk to friends. So, just like being able to talk yeah. to you guys has been great. Um, yeah, this has been great. I'm glad I, I kind of got to see you. you it was cool hanging out with both of you. I don't, I don't get to hang out with, with anybody I right don't. now. So, you this know, is great. Thank we you. We don't even have to do it as a podcast. We I know. Can just hang, <laughs> just <out>. hang out. <laughs> I, I'm always around after after nine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, well, do, you, do you guys Thank prefer you. like people buying your albums on Bandcamp? Or, I mean, because there's no iTunes anymore, is there? Uh, there's Apple Music. Apple Music. Uh, oh, okay. I, I prefer Bandcamp, honestly, because we get more money. Okay. Um, Spotify and Apple Music rip off yeah. artists. Okay. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. I guess if, you, if people want the new Reward George uh, EP, you can, you can buy it on Bandcamp or you can stream it and give us no money on Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon. Or just anyway, have it on repeat while you're sleeping every night. <laughs> right. To make a quarter of a cent. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can and, also and get some public, public too. And everyone appreciate the, the cover art by yours truly, Brian. Oh. oh, yeah. We should mention that, Brian. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. I, I know we struck out the first time. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll we, save we came the up artwork. with a design that was like, it was unfortunately the band. I, I shared it with the band and they're like, no, try again. <laughs> Actually, that was me. Yeah, yeah. fuck you, Adam. <laughs> you're, you're, you're part. You were part of the of the peanut gallery there. Um, yeah, but I think the second true, time true. we Guilty. came up with something. Yeah, we it, it, it worked. It's usually it good. Worked. It's it's good when I'm usually copying off someone else. <laughs> In this yeah. case, it was GNR. Yeah, but, uh, a great a, a Guns and Roses album cover is great. But this, you did a great job. Thank you. Love you guys. Yeah, and uh, love you. Can't wait to see you in, in person sometime soon. I'll see you guys in 10 years. Take, stay safe. <laughs> Wear a mask. All right. 
Be well, All everyone. Right, bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Goodbye, listeners. Listener, come on, get it right. <laughs> bye.